0: Hello and welcome to Nightlight. It's a sad thing when a person becomes aware that they are losing the capacity for wonder. And That's even sadder when they mistake this change within them as being a sign of progress or maturity. Those who have completely lost the capacity for childlike awe may look behind them as it fades away and soothe the pain by convincing themselves that they are finally growing up. Some who are hindered by the brokenness in themselves as well as by the brokenness of the world around them may even come to believe that all that they once might have seen as wonderful was really only their silly, naive, childish ignorance. But now they understand it was all just silly nonsense. They take refuge in what they think is the logic of reductionism. Oh, that was nothing but, and then you fill in the blank. As the mystery of magic and the world of the invisible real fades from their imagination, they're left with what they think are just the cold, hard facts. They steel themselves with this false idea that they are at least brave enough to face reality as it is. And even though they will have no reason, therefore, to hope for any ultimate goodness, they will continue to buck themselves up with the self-congratulatory false comfort that it is better to live with the hopeless truth than to take comfort in hopeful lies. This assumes that truth has still some ultimate meaning in their eyes, yet in such people's minds they never seem to see the contradiction in their thinking. They claim they are just embracing what they call the truth as if that idea is commendable, but refuse to acknowledge higher truths that they cannot reduce down to the size of their own psyches and so they reject. The child gives way to the adolescent and then the adolescent gives way to the young adult who no longer wonders but only wanders. Entertainments, self-indulgences, youthful lusts supply the energy to eventually become mixed with some semblance of temporary purpose in life, but it's only a temporal limited purpose. But because it is a bit larger than their own personal world, they take some false comfort in it as if it's going to give them meaning eventually. That degree, that job, that scholarship, that second degree, that promotion, etc. These all help to give the illusion of being carried forward. But they never seem to ask, carried forward to where and for what? Eventually an emptiness awakens and the awareness comes with that emptiness, hopefully, that there must be something more than this present life. Meaning or lack thereof brings us to face realities that can take us to higher places, When true meaning is found, even in preliminary forms, there's a sense of fulfillment and joy. We cannot live without meaning. And when we encounter it, even in small forms, it cripples our ability to retreat back into the shallows where we used to play. We may be able to try to hide from the call forward, but we're never fully able again to the same degree to go back to where we used to be before we tasted real life. We've been touched by something other than us that calls us higher. We may not see it yet as God, but if it is life-giving and soul-expanding, it is certainly from and of God. The spouse or the friendship or the child we hold or the great purpose we find in some truly important work or a sense of destiny, all these demand that we give up our self, our self-deception, our false sense of self-sufficiency, uh, our uh, moment-by-moment experiences and accomplishments and pleasures that we used to just focus on. When meaning comes, we find we would rather be unhappy with it than happy without it. We thought we were fine without it, whatever form it takes. But then, it, the meaning, arrives. And we're changed forever. There's now no going back. Then we begin to wonder. There's that word again. We wonder. We wonder. How before did we live without it? And in unguarded moments, it sneaks up on us and causes us to wonder, how could we live if we lost it? In these encounters with meaning, the lost wonder of childhood silently slips a little bit back in. We either embrace and celebrate it or we try to avoid it. But either the joy of returned transcendence or the struggle to hide from it and run from it, either one of these will alter us into someone we cannot escape. We will not be the same ever again. Our shallow materialist view of ourselves as a static, satisfied, unchangeable entity that was and is and ever shall be who and what we thought we were shows itself to be mere vapor. We are ever-changing. In every moment, we are being transformed into another form, either for good or for not so good, depending on how much we resist meaning. But something greater than we can control is pressing in on us. If meaning doesn't reach us and awaken us through the good, that it brings, there's other ways to get our attention. There's another force that breaks the facade of selfishness. This force seems to be the total opposite of the joy of the power of meaning. It's the agony of the power of tragedy. But meaning and tragedy are not that far apart. In this world, they are closely related. There is meaning apart from tragedy in ultimate reality. But there is no tragedy apart from meaning in this present darkness. There is a realm where meaning is never touched by tragedy. But it's not here. Here, there is no meaning that is not eventually touched by tragedy. Why? Well simple response is that this is not home, this is the battlefield, a terrible battlefield. Is it first a battlefield infused by some good now and then, or was it a good place that became a battlefield? Well, that's too big a question to try to tackle here, but can anyone honestly deny we are in some kind of war? There is a real good and there is a real evil, regardless of how we may see the origin of this war, because there is so much great good rich with meaning in this world, we assume that that good is the normal state of the here and now. Now, that good is the normal state that was intended, I believe. But something tragic and terrible interrupted that goodness. And we are in a war ever since we've been in war. So when evil strikes, when tragedy comes, we understand and we scream against it because we don't understand. Lasting goodness that cannot be marred, that that goes on without end, is our normal state or we would not long for it so much. So we're heading somewhere. Something terrible happened that ruined the good that we long for. And logic cannot accept the idea that good and evil just came into being and grew up together. The great good we all enjoy, especially in the West, supplies us with far too much entertainment and comfort Uh, more than we need to keep us ignorant of the amount of horror and suffering in this present world. And we cannot handle it, even if we could see it, only a tiny portion of it, we couldn't bear it. That doesn't address the horror that is human history. Millions of gallons of ink have been spilled on what we call the mystery of evil. But to many, there seems to be no mystery about evil. That's the empirically, regularly demonstrated norm of this present age. No, the real mystery is goodness. In the face of all the hellish insanity of evil, we might try to list here from where and how is it that goodness can even survive, much less thrive, and even more so, sometimes conquer. When tragedy eventually strikes, even after we have thought we have triumphed in goodness, we naturally respond to its horror, first with shock, then with grief. And if we're willing to get past the triumphalism, as well as the grief and the suffering, we eventually will settle into another kind of wonder, not the childlike wonder of awe, which we feel fading and have left behind, but we come into adult wonder. Childlike wonder feels so far away at this point, we may feel we never had it, or that at least it's unrecoverable. But this new kind of wonder, this wonder of confusion, doubt, and inner struggle, mixes with rage and fear and confusion and some kind of inner drive that screams this is not right and there has to be some answer. There has to be some kind of justice. There has to be things put right. Or there's no meaning and there's no use and there's nothing. If there's no use and there's no justice and there's no meaning, why do we exist? And everybody feels that at some point in some level. Or they are a turnip. This is not right. There has to be an answer. It has to be set in order somehow, somewhere. And we attempt then to figure it out. And that creates a lot of wonder. Wondering. Wondering. There is no life without meaning. There is no meaning in this present age without tragedy. And I have found after years of dealing with myself and with other people that if we lack the childlike wonder, if we cannot return to it or have it return to us more accurately, we will not have the ability to endure the struggle of adult wondering. Only the childlike kind of wonder can carry us through the crucible of the adult wondering. If we do not wonder in awe, we cannot survive our wondering about tragedy, and we will wander off into God knows what. I would love to focus only on the childlike wonder here at this season of what we have come to call the holidays, That's a funny word, isn't it? Holidays. It's it's a word that the materialist leftists try to force upon us to save themselves from hearing words like Christmas. Happy holidays, they say. They don't know, and I guess many of us don't seem to know, that the word holiday is merely another form of the word holy day. So even the materialists can't fully get away from the struggle over the higher meaning. Christmas, the mass of Christ, I guess that's so specific and so Christ-centered and so refers to the person of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ, his death and his resurrection, all bound up in that one word. But the changing of one phrase for another into holiday, it doesn't change a thing. This season is a holy season because it is a time of affirming the Christ mass. Regardless of the view one may take of the holiday season, whether you treat it as holy or treat all days the same, this one fact remains. This is the season that the world culturally, if not reverently, acknowledges to some degree or other. That something has come into the world from the outside, in order to save the world from itself, and so even even in its most shallow forms, the the searching for joy, the longing for fellowship and togetherness and family, all all that points to the meaning that the holy day originally intended. In 2004, there was a film released called Crash based on several true-life incidences. By the way, this movie is not to be uh, confused with the 1996 uh, David Cronenberg film, which was a piece of demonic garbage. Please don't get these films confused. The 2004 film Crash took place in Los Angeles in the Christmas season when 16 different storylines all converge, stories of racism, sexism, bigotry, sadism, loneliness, cruelty, injustice, bullying, lust, and sin-induced accidental tragedies of seemingly random, unconnected individuals who all crash into one another during the Christmas season. A scene in the film's conclusion shows the snowless California skies beginning to shower the dirty streets with an impossible snowfall. The scene shows a manger scene crash as the near miraculous snow begins to cover the city. And the message whether they realized it fully or not, the message seemed to shout, there is no hope for us. Unless something greater and higher and better than we are descends into our sick, selfish, hate-filled world, we are utterly lost. Even the one good guy that you think is the hero ends up no hero as his own self-righteousness reveals his fallen inability to do the right thing, it's obviously not an easy film to watch. It's painfully telling us the truth, the well-known truth that we ignore. We're totally hopelessly wrong, and we will wrong each other over and over, and we cannot change or save ourselves. And if left to ourselves, we will create hell in and for each other. This is not a film that is on anyone's favorite holiday movie list, but it may tell the single most important truth that this season was meant to communicate. Meaning is the only remedy for tragedy. And some tragedies you will not be able to find any meaning in it because evil is meaningless. So the only hope in the face of such tragedy is an ultimate meaning that can only come from another world into this world. It is the only power that can save us from ultimate tragedy. Ultimate meaning is the only power that can save us from ultimate tragedy. And ultimate tragedy is that which is horror and cruelty and suffering that has no meaning. Even even the Jewish sufferers in Auschwitz could manage to survive digging holes and doing work for the Nazis. But it's when the Nazis, out of just sheer demonic cruelty, would have them dig a hole and then fill it, and dig a hole and then fill it, then dig a hole and then fill it, that at some points uh, men uh, and women would throw themselves on the electric fence to escape the meaninglessness of evil. The ultimate tragedies in our private lives take many forms, as many forms as there are individuals, and some of us have suffered far, far more than others of us. No one can hear another's tragic story and not be both shaken at what they hear and moved in some way, even those who seem untouched or maybe the most afraid, so they don't want to to show that they have any feelings. We hear how certain people have suffered and we, we identify with them. We all know what it's like to think as we hear certain unbearable stories of loss or evil injustice, that could be me. Or worse, that could happen to someone I love. <clears throat> There's no counseling or pill or diversion or vacation, or change of scenery, or experience that can heal unhealable evil. Ultimate tragedy can only be absorbed by a greater tragedy that can then transcend the tragedy by greater meaning, and that is the Christ mass. The horrors we wonder at and then wonder over, can only be transcended by the wonder we worship at, God hanging on a cross, taking into himself all that cannot be fixed, then rising out from that death, with death lying dead under his feet. And unless we tell that story of the Christ Mass at Christmas, We're really only literally sounding brass and tinkling cymbals or jingle bells. Our Merry Christmas will be as hollow and meaningless as the vast and ever-increasing stack of materialist junk that piles up every year with increasing banality. The snowfall from heaven on the seemingly easily overlooked and even disdained Christmas display on a Los Angeles street in a miraculous snowfall in the movie Crash is pointing to a power from outside the world that is the world's only hope. And even a film company who very likely had no conception of the truths I'm unpacking here, still they managed to speak that truth in their broken but accurate way. I've done several previous messages, especially at Christmas time, on the word wonder. I would love to go back and revisit those this season. Who would not prefer to focus on the untarnished child's celebration of the invisible real that dances through their little imaginations, or I should say, their huge imaginations? But we were not told to be children. We were told to be childlike. We were not told to ignore evil. We were told to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. We were told when it comes to doing evil, to be like infants. But when it comes to practicing goodness, be like men, be like women. In the face of the current distress... I can't seem to allow myself to just shut down my adult mind and go into some child place and shout Merry Christmas. I I want to do something far better than that. And So I hope we can examine the reality of the ultimate meaning that destroys the ultimate tragedy that comes down to us from the outside of the world and to see at least as much as we can, what the invasion of the Incarnation means to the tragedies that that we see around us and the tragedy the world has become. In 1985, the great country band Alabama released a holiday song called Christmas in Dixie. I'm sure many of you know it. It sought to reach out and touch the whole country with a simple Childlike goodness of a Merry Christmas wish. By now, in New York City, the snow is on the ground, and out in California, the sunshine's falling down. Maybe down in Memphis, Graceland's all in lights, and in Atlanta, Georgia, there's peace on earth tonight. It's windy in Chicago. The kids are out of school. There's magic in Motown. The city's on the move. From Jackson, Mississippi to Charlotte, Carolina and all across the nation, it's a peaceful Christmas time. Christmas in Dixie. It's snowing on the pines. Merry Christmas from Dixie to everyone tonight. But many years later, as I was driving between Jackson, Mississippi, and Charlotte, Carolina, down I-40, the interstate I've driven probably 500 times, that song came on the radio, and uh, I couldn't stop the tears. The lyrics changed in my mind. Though I highly respect the writers and what they were intending to communicate and don't mean to disrespect their original intention. I heard in my own head that that day many years after the original nineteen eighty five release. It's windy in Chicago as bullets fly each day there's sorrow in Motown so many moved away from Jackson, Mississippi to Charlotte, Carolina and all across the nation strife and hate is on our mind the original lyrics I believe came from Alabama's heart simple childlike wonder and my newer, more adult realistic lyrics come from the adult pain of facing the truth that holiday cheer and tinsel cannot drown out the mean-spirited verbiage or hide the ugliness of what we are becoming as a nation. There's no way to go back to the simplicity of a child. And there's no way to ignore the reality seen by the adult. So what are we to do? There's a third way and it has to be taken by all of us. That's the way of the adult that faces the evil as it is, then rises uh, above it and goes up above it, above the facts of evil, above the details of the headlines and the news broadcasts and the falseness of many of those so-called broadcasts or so, so-called news broadcast and to re-engage with the childlike wonder that can only be done in worship, in prayer, in sacrament, and then in intercessory authority. We, we move out of that place seated above, enthroned with our sovereign God and King and we move out from that place of ultimate meaning and then we become conduits of that other, that higher power which alone has the ability to answer the heart cry of the movie Crash to make it snow where snow is impossible There was a song many years ago. I beg the pardon of the author because I never knew who wrote it. But I only heard it once and remembered it almost completely. It said, I once read in a poem, when snow covers the earth, that it hides the world's scars and gives nature new birth. And that when a soul turns from sin to the Lord, That forgiveness like snow covers them evermore. And somewhere, somewhere, it's snowing. We have to see with supernatural eyes. We cannot live as mere mortal men and women. We must take seriously the words of scripture that tells us who we are now, where we are seated now, and what we can do now to bring the kingdom of God on earth what does it mean when we talk about peace on earth when I talk about the kingdom of of God coming on earth and us bringing the kingdom some people think well that's almost blasphemous we can't bring the kingdom, only God can bring the kingdom he brings the kingdom, Oh, yes only God can bring the kingdom and how does he do it? through me and you you hear it battered about this time of year. Peace on earth, peace on earth. Well, what's what's the relationship of Christmas and peace on earth when there is so little peace on earth? Luke 2 tells us the story. We all can quote it. The angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone all around about them and they were very afraid But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. Look, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Messiah and Lord. And you will find this Savior, Messiah, and Lord lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes of the poverty-stricken. He didn't say that, but that's the fact. Then, contrasting these two pictures, suddenly there appeared with that angel a multitude of the armies of heaven praising God and saying, and we all can quote it can't we glory to god in the highest and peace on earth goodwill to men and we don't have really a clue what that means and some translations say glory to god in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to those who show goodwill or various other kind of clumsy forms of it i i, I don't i don't want to pretend that i know better than great scholars who have wrestled with this for years but when I read their commentaries they just leave me empty they leave me dead on the inside what it's saying is the glory of God in the highest heaven, the the most high God has come down to you and you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger the Most High God has come down to you and is living with you. There's an invasion from outside your world who made the world and has now come into the world. And, and as a result of him coming, there is going to be shalom on the earth because the goodwill of, that's in God's heart toward the earth is going to penetrate it and ultimately bring not peace on earth. We talk about it like it's the absence of war, the absence of strife. Well, that's part of it, but that's not what, that's not what God's talking about when he uses the word peace. Shalom is absolute fullness of being, wholeness, and, and fulfillment of purpose, destiny, and joy. All of that is what's going on in this glory to God in the highest and on earth. Shalom toward all men. Some translations sadly say, well, it's peace to them who who have a good will. Peace on those who have a good will. Men don't have good wills. We've already established that fact. The good will comes from outside, from outer space. The good will comes from the highest heaven. That's where the good will comes, and what's the good will coming to do? It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. That's, that's the good will. That's the good news. Not, not good will toward those who have good will. None of us would get any of it. Well, I want to close our time together with a story. It's not an easy story to hear because that's what we've been talking about is the, the, the ultimate tragedies overcome only by the ultimate reality. Many of you know the song I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day based on a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow but maybe you don't know some of the background story behind it. Longfellow Lost his first wife, Mary, as she was uh, trying to give birth to their their first child, who also died later on, he married his second wife, Fanny, and they had six children of those six children, Charles the oldest, sneaked away in uh, the beginning of the civil war. Uh, so at a time when Longfellow is at his peak of uh, success and notoriety uh, he goes through the pain of finding his son has gone away to war but two years later something far more agonizing occurred as his wife was cutting one of the children's hair, hair uh, she snipped off some hair and wanted to keep it as a keepsake and took some, some sealing wax, uh, melted it by the fire and was in the process of making a keepsake out of the hair. When s- sparks or something caught her dress on fire, you you don't need me to tell you what dresses uh, in that day, the bulk of them, the, the, the difficulty of getting in and out of clothes like that. She was engulfed in flames in a matter of seconds. Uh, Longfellow was so badly injured in his face and hands from trying to save his wife that he was unable to go to her funeral and sank into unexpressible grief. The only thing he ever wrote on this subject was uh, how agonizingly painful are the holidays. Then later on he wrote, I have no words. I shall forever remain silent in the face of this this sorrow. Uh, He couldn't speak of it. And yet, one day near Christmas, as he contemplated the sorrow of the nation and his own personal sorrow, uh, he'd just gotten the message that his son Charles had been Badly injured in battle he didn't he didn't know if he would live or not. he did live, but in the face of of all the weight of this, he wrote these words, and as usual, there's more to the poem than we hear in the later song version. I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old familiar carols play and Wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men, and thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolves from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then, from each black accursed mouth the cannons thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the heartstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth goodwill to men and in despair I bowed my head there is no peace on earth I said for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men and then somewhere deep inside of him, where the kingdom of God dwells in all of us who belong to Jesus. He reached below the pain and sorrow. He reached beneath, even lower than the agony of the loss of his wife. And he took hold of these words, and they were not just a nice way of finishing a poem. Then Peeled the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, it's these lyrics that help create, to some degree, our misunderstanding of the meaning of the words, peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's understandable in our English vernacular that we would interpret those words to mean some reference to the absence of war and the absence of wrong attitudes between one another. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just incomplete. But when Longfellow reached and took hold by grace of the hope of resurrection and the coming kingdom of God, it was in that moment that not only was the cannon fire out outdone by the, the bells of celebration, but the memories of heartache and loss and tragedy were given, given a soothing whisper of hope and life to come with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in summation, the childlike wonder gives way to the struggle of young adulthood. Sometimes in young adulthood that gives way to the cynicism and unbelief that mixes with our youthful rebellion and lust and brings us to a point where we lose our way. But then the search for meaning demands that we come back to some form of reality but the only way above when we've had to say goodbye to childhood and we've had to wrestle through the struggles of young adulthood and we come to that place in life for some older, for some younger but we come to that place where we we go from childlike wonder to wondering what life's about There is a third place the wonder, the restoration of childlike wonder that gives us the power to face the struggles that we wonder about. And then we go to a a much greater place where we become a conduit of the power of God to the earth.
1: Now in New York City, there's snow on the ground, and out in California, the sunshine's falling down. Maybe down in Memphis. All in lights, And in Atlanta, Georgia There's peace on earth tonight Christmas in Dixie It's snowing in the pines Merry Christmas from Dixie Fort Payne, Alabama God bless y'all We love you Happy New Year Good night Merry Christmas Merry Christmas
0: pray for every person listening that somehow your Holy Spirit would take what I've poorly presented and and break it in pieces that can feed the hungry hearts of those who may be rejoicing in good times in their life or those who are suffering in difficult times where the holidays can be an enhancement of glory or uh, sadly sometimes an enhancement of our pain, help us rise above whatever the circumstances are as we focus our eyes on you and trust your spirit to give us an ever-increasing vision of your goodness and power and glory to come. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate and whose reign in glory we are thankfully living under, And whose return we long for. In his name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for listening.